Hi, this is Stephen Piercy from Rat. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth, and you are here with Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 318 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. In episode 318, we are joined by uh, movie producer Carl Alvarez, who is involved with the Inside Metal Films. Uh, if you're a long-time listener to the show back uh, almost two years ago in episode 250, we introduced uh, the producer Bob Nalbandian. Uh, he talked about the release of the very first film, which was Pioneers of L.A. Hard Rock and Metal. At the time, I believe the volume one was the only one that was available. Uh, that was a two-volume set, almost uh, three full hours of video. Uh, since then, there have been two additional films, The L.A. Metal Scene Explodes, uh, volume one and two, which is a really cool look at what the Sunset Strip in L.A. was like. Once metal started to reach the masses, when it reached us here in the you know East Coast, uh, so we wanted to have Carl on the um, show talk about that. He was also involved with the editing, which, if you've seen any of the films, is going to be an unenviable task and actually kind of a cool task uh, to put it all together. So, wanted to get behind the scenes uh, on how the movie was made. Uh, you can get those films at metalrockfilms.com. I believe all of them are available now for streaming on Amazon. Uh, which is free with Amazon Prime. Uh, I know for a time uh, there was talk of them being on Netflix, so the DVDs are certainly the way to go. Those are available on metalrockfilms.com or amazon.com, or if you're a digital person, I'm sure there's places to get that as well. So let's get into that conversation we had with Carl about Inside Metal, the L.A. metal scene explodes. Pleasure to welcome to the show Carl Alvarez, uh, producer from the Inside Metal series. Carl, how are you doing today? Pretty good, John. Uh, yeah, it's a nice morning here on Saturday in Southern California, so can ask for much more. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Now we had um, a colleague of yours, Bob Nalbandian, on. Uh, really, uh, I think God, it's been a while now. I think almost, I think it was when the first Inside Metal came to DVD uh, and spoke to us, uh, and now. You know, you guys have, what, four films under your belt. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how 
the other videos particularly kind of came together and um you know sort of what's next for you guys so you know when we last talked to bob we were you know at the pioneers of la metal um you know i know you've you've got a sequel to that and mm-hmm. then now that the la you know metal scene explodes uh scene uh videos which i thought were really fa- kind of fascinating I had a chance to catch one of those on amazon uh, just the other day so can we talk a little bit about how you know, when you guys sat down to do this project back several years ago, was this all in the scope, or is this just you had so much footage that it made sense to to do these other films? <laughs> well, I'll try to keep it short and sweet. It's not a short and sweet story, though. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You take all the time you need. Okay, so uh, this like kind of started all four years ago, and it just started as a, a project that obviously Bob knew a lot of these people. He had done an actual podcast on the Shockwaves mm-hmm. thing. It's kind of a prelude to the Pioneers, where he got uh, Stephen Quattro's from Snow, and obviously Carlos Cavazza was in that band, and uh, so he obviously went on to Quiet Riot fame. So he had a show where collectively had a couple of these guys from this particular era, and it was actually a very fascinating era because you got to look behind before there was video, before you actually were even aware of anything other than Van Halen uh, from the L.A. scene. So it was a fascinating thing. So I think Bob kind of conceptually took this next step when uh, Warren, um, who is the executive producer, approached Joe Floyd about doing a project like this. Long story short, all the people kind of came forward at this time. So Bob knew that he wanted to do these three different versions of the Pioneers, the early version of L.A. Hard Rock, Mm -hmm. the middle version, which probably him and I grew up in as far as L.A. with the Wasps of the World and the Motleys of the World and Steelers and Yngwies and those people, Dokken, and then the underground thrash era. So that's kind of where he was approaching it at. So collectively, he got all these people together. All these interviews kind of just fell into place. I mean, it was scheduling and these sorts of things. But I think the whole process, really, majority of a lot of the interviews are like the first year. So collectively, putting all this information together was quite a job in terms of keeping things concise. I mean, you can kind of tell that things are kind of loose. It's kind of a riff session with a lot of these people. But, you know, in terms of the scope, uh, there was a certain... If you were there at that time, you could probably ask Stephen Piercy the same question, to Jamie St. James from Black and Blue the same question, to Randy Piper, and they're going to give you kind of their interpretation. So we kind of took all of those types of elements and just made it a a sequential type of arc in terms of what was really happening at that time. And the other thing, too... Bob wanted to approach it as more more of a fan base thing as opposed to having a story with drama and, or you know the groupies or the sex or the drugs. He kind of wanted to get away from that. Although he did present it, we did present that in a certain sense. But it's really for the fans in terms of get, kind of getting behind the curtain of what was really happening. A lot of these guys, though, too, that we interviewed, um, this might be the last time they actually talk about the subject matter. Right. might be the first time they talk about the subject matter. So it was really important to document this. This is kind of like a not only just for a viewing pleasure if you're into this type of music. Um, uh, it's a history lesson and it's a documentation. So that, Yeah. I think one of the things that I enjoyed about all the films really, and this is something I, I mentioned to Bob, 
just after the first one, but I think it really cemented it as you go through the other films. Growing up in western Pennsylvania, you know, we had what the major labels basically disseminated to us to listen to. We didn't have, you know, Snow and Angel and things like that, even on our radar. You know, we knew Motley when Motley hit. We knew Wasp, obviously. But a lot of the bands that were presented in, in the films kind of went under the radar for us. You know, we, you know, you might read about them in an interview. You're like, oh, I remember that was Carlos Carvazza's old band or, you know, things like, you know, Nikki Six's first band. We, we knew the name, maybe, but there was no way. We couldn't go to, you know, the record store or to BMG or Columbia House or wherever the heck we were getting our metal at the time and get these bands. So it was really cool. You know, and, and there weren't articles in Circus and Hit Parader, and that's how we lived in our era. You know, we, it was a little post the fanzine, you know, because I know Bob was, you know, big into that as well. We didn't really have that, you know, where I was growing up at the time I grew up, you know, in the mid-80s to the early 90s. Um, so this is really, I think, you know, a treasure for someone like myself who, you know, loved the hell out of all that L.A. metal and loved thrash metal to be able to go back and, and learn about, you know, the roots of it. You know, and that's So I, I definitely applaud you guys on that. I just, um, I'm curious, you know, I know how in my world of scheduling interviews and things like that, sometimes um, you, a certain guest will help you get other guests. Was this kind of, you know, certain, you, you maybe got someone to agree to do the project and then other people just kind of climbed on board? Or was this, you guys had enough network contacts for these people? Well, I'd say Bob, between Bob and Joe, pr- primarily Bob, obviously, because, you mm-hmm. know, the podcast and just kind of his history that goes back to the fanzine mm-hmm. and interviewing a lot of these people back then. And just he was pretty well networked with all, a lot of these people. So I'd say he probably brought 85% of it to the table. I brought maybe 5 to 10%. Joe brought in his portion, too. And, and a lot of these people, I mean, let's say, for instance, like with Joe, he had a contact. Well, Bob, too. Um, with Don Dawkins, and that took a while to secure it, but mm-hmm. you know, once he came forward, Don's amazing. I mean, you could say what you want about Don Dawkins, you know, it could go either way, but actually getting to know the guy and yeah. really hearing him and talking to him, he's he's quite, he's really kind of, uh, there's a kind of, there's a lot of these linchpin type people that mm-hmm. go even into the kind of, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't call them the darker days or the the days that we haven't seen the light of day about this period. And right. he's one of the kind of I wouldn't call him a historian, but he was there, you know. So, right. for instance, he's a for instance person where you can kind of just reach back. And so from there, you know, there's, you know, I think it was a little bit of both to answer your question in the short version. Also, when this thing kind of started to steamroll, some people started to come forward too that. We kind of evaluated and said, you know what? I think this would be a good person. Maybe they're going to tell another part to the story where we can fit it together with some of the other interviews. Right. That so, so it was a part of an evolution too, as well. Sure. Now, were there people that you approached who you thought might be interested in participating who just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't want to tell their story, or did you run into that much? <clears throat> uh, we reached out to about everybody. Yeah. Uh, we reached out to the Motley Crew um, people. Uh, at the time, I had a friend that worked at their management company. It was a little bit harder to secure. It, we put it, we flew up the flagpole, and just to see, you know, it, right. it, you just try these sorts of things. It wasn't a yes, it wasn't a no, but it was obviously a no. Uh, and we actually approached Michael Anthony. <laughs> mm-hmm. Funny enough, 
we were able to find him and uh he had recently moved to Newport Beach and we Bob and I were <laughs> we ran into him at, at a club in, in um uh, Costa Mesa. <laughs> Funny enough, I guess his yeah. son uh, was in a band, so we, we approached him. But you know, it was neither yes, neither no. We'll get back to you. But I'd say everybody else, green light all the way. There was no like, like. I mean, Stephen Percy was kind of a little a bit hard to peg, but he right. came forward and with help with Gina Zamparelli, who who was kind of a behind the scenes person in that whole scene, and she's still sure. very active. So, so we had help in instances. Yeah. Now, did you get? I've I've often found this kind of humorous, where you get an artist, and you get them talking, and you get them comfortable, and they'll say something, and then you get an email maybe the next day saying, "Hey, can you take this out?" Did you get any of that kind of stuff? You know, maybe somebody was a little too forthcoming, and then they kind of regretted something they said. You know, maybe becoming public. Well, I think with just about everybody, they've somewhat been in the public eye so they mm. kind of know the deal you know in terms of okay they kind of already know what they're going to say sure. enough but in this type of situation yeah let people their hair down a little bit more because right. it was more of a fluid conversation but i would say i want i can't say the person sure <laughs> it wouldn't be really fair but there was, there was one person that came forward but rightfully so i mean it wasn't something they said but just maybe how they perhaps looked so right. it was a little bit of that but i was that was just really to a small degree it wasn't like a real big kind of deal but that's yeah. the, the extent of it but nobody went into like oh some rabid drug binge story and you know and with orgies and nothing like that right. or they said oh, i regret saying that nothing nothing like that happened <laughs> yeah I, I know it's it's funny i can think of a band um in particular um who i've been fortunate, I believe, to speak with all of the members of the band, uh, and they just did a reunion set last night for the first time in 20 years. Uh, mm. But I think every member of that band, uh, sans one of them, had something kind of snarky to say about the other. You know, and mm. you, mm-hmm. you think about some of this stuff going to film, and then you know things change. You know, mm-hmm. offers get made to do tours, and you may not want comments. You know, making it to a DVD or a video. Yeah, or, the, the, the funny thing is, I I think there was a sense of diplomacy. Everybody came forward. You know, they've been doing it for thirty years, sure. thirty plus years. So the, there's a sense of okay, I'm going to put this out. It's been said before, and right. it was kind of the middle ground area, not like attacking a person all sure. over again. You know, it was, you know, it's been presented, and they kind of covered that ground um, in it, but without going too into detail. So it's very balanced in that sure, in sure. that way. So. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you're, you're kind of coming at it, I think, from a different angle. You know, most of the guests I know, you know, listening to Bob's show, my show, uh, some of the other metal shows, a lot of the artists come around. They've got a new album. They've got a new tour. They want to talk about that. Sure. Uh, this is kind of a different angle. You know, this is a take me back, you know, to when you were 19 and living in, you know, some cramped apartment with five other guys trying to make a, you know, make a rent payment and, you know, make your way through the music industry, um, which is really cool. Um was when you set out and, and kind of mapped this, did you, how did you go about editing this to kind of make it flow? I mean, that's the one thing I look at this and go, wow, this, you know, must have taken forever for somebody to splice all this together. It did. It was a major, I mean, I kind of it was really on my shoulders in mm-hmm. terms of, I mean, actually, in terms of the work of it, mm. the actual editing work, it's uh, we had like me who did the prep. Who actually, Bob 
gave me the notes. We worked on the timeline. We worked on the script. We we massaged this thing. We edited. We pulled things out. We cut things here. We added things there. So that part was a major undertaking. Not only just that approach, but the the approach of just doing the complete timeline. Yeah. <laughs> it was a. Uh, it was a lot of work. It's probably more work than probably an editor would actually, really actually take on. If it, that's the best way to put it, but we did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's honestly when I look at this because I mean you 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 obviously have interviews that were done over you know I, I don't even know what the time window from first interview to last interview, but you you know a certain stretch of time to then go back and say okay we want to make this kind of go start here and, and you know kind of move chronologically through there and to then go back and pick out those things that each guy said, uh, you know, that's got to be damn near impossible, you know, without going back and almost like indexing your conversation with these people. So I'll I'll give you the short version how I did it. Bob gave me the complete script, the whole timeline. I cut everything up, organized it into subject matter. I had Mm -hmm. it all sprawled out on the floor, all the quotes, Mm -hmm. boom, 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 boom. That took a while. All of that took a while. And then we just pieced it together then we actually put it in a kind of a rough version. Right. Okay, we knew we have to move things around. We knew we have to take it's something about scene versus actually scene with written words. It's it's a big difference. So right. it's really a, a quite a process, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it even became more of a process after we had the first screening. Like, oh, that didn't really work uh, in front of an audience. We we should really take this out or edit this out or you know so very much you know we were going into this as amateurs I mean I'll say this in a sense that we were amateurs doing professional work mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms yeah. of story and so we 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 learned a lot we grew from it and you could probably see a little bit of a different take not take but the approach maybe to the second one it's still in the same format but um, so we learned a lot and we're still learning a lot too so sure now, can you kind of take me through, um, you know, we, as I mentioned, we talked to Bob back when the Pioneers uh, film first kind of saw the light of day. What What is the difference been on the L.A. metal scene explodes? What um, is, is it just a chronological next step? Yeah, it's the next step. Um, there's a lot of little phases of what Pioneers went through, uh, where it leads to coming from out of the disco, new wave, punk rock. Mm-hmm to its really kind of formative stage with Van Halen getting signed and Motley Crue coming on the scene. So this is the next phase mm-hmm. after you know Motley sign, Quiet Riot is almost going to come out with mental health. The scene is like buzzing. The world doesn't know about it. MTV is not, it's not on the radar. So this moment in time is really 82 to 83 is probably the most important time of the incubation of mm-hmm. all of this and what you saw after 1983, after the S Festival in 1984, what the world saw after that. So this is really very important. We had to tell the story that part because it's gold. It makes, if this, that that little moment in time, year and a half didn't happen, mm-hmm. really, it wouldn't be as what you would know it now. Yeah. So, we so. wouldn't we wouldn't be talking because I wouldn't have been turned on to the kind of music and mm-hmm. I mean and yeah I mean it's that I think it is that significant you know as in that era you know obviously the thrash thing notwithstanding I mean the, the L.A. scene in that era was just huge. Now, um, do you guys plan on taking this forward into you know kind of the 
the balloon that became, you know, 85, 86, 87 at some point, or is this kind of, you're just going to let the story kind of rest where it is? Uh, so it does go up to 86. Okay. We end it right at Guns N' Roses getting signed, which is really, really, I think, at the last bastion of r- real, real music, because, you know, as the story goes after that, not to put any of the bands down after that, because... I'm sure we were somewhat fans, maybe or maybe not, of the next phase of the Warrants and the Poisons and mm-hmm. all those people who had their success too. But we, you know, Bob made it conclusive that you know this is kind of where we want to stop because there's a there's a fork in the road here, as we know. Right. One fork goes one way, and the other fork goes into what these bands that started in the underground scene who were off the radar, Slayer, Megadeth. Um, Vermin, Savage Grace, uh, uh, Hyrax, Dark mm-hmm. Angel. You know, that's where a real fascination is. Obviously, it's a lot of what Bob's roots are. So that's that seemed more fascinating to approach it from that angle because we had seen all the poison behind the musics and heard sure. all the stories. So, you know, it's been done. And, um, you know, so that's the next phase that's coming up. And, Got some exciting people in it. Uh, then what's um, kind of remember? It's episode three. It's going to be the thrash era. Uh, Rocky George is in it. And, um, there's there's a surprise person. I can't announce it yet. That will be in this next one, and it's going to be released in 2007. I'm I'm working on it right now, and we're kind of getting the the timeline kind of situated. But mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, we got a lot of people. Uh, Eric Meyer from Dark Angel, Gene Hoagland. Uh, a lot of the key people were, that were there that maybe even go back to this early period of the pioneers. I know Gene Hoagland approached uh, Brian O'Brien from uh, this band called A La Carte. And Brian, Brian O'Brien was like the king drummer, one of the king drummers of the early scene. And there's a part, I don't know if it's discussed in the pioneers or in the thrash one. I think it's in the thrash one where Gene Hoagland actually approaches Brian O'Brien to kind of help him, you know, kind of give him a schooling on drums, you know, and here's the great Gene Hoagland who's, I mean, a monster on the drums. So going back to these kind of little tidbits and piecing it all together, it's, it's been fun. So, yeah. And in some ways I think, you know, maybe decline of the Western civilization sort of gave us that window into how goofy the you know the glam scene got mm-hmm. in a lot of ways you know the LA metal scene implodes we could call that mm-hmm. um, so that yeah, that makes a great great next step on this so um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out um, these videos um, available for sale on your website uh, currently they're uh, at uh, metalrockfilms.com uh, I know they're available on Amazon um, what what other streaming services are they available on at this point. Uh, the Pioneers is available on iTunes, Amazon Prime. Uh, it's soon to be on iTunes, the episode two, which we're talking about. This is kind of the focal point, I guess, of this inter- interview, too, as well. Mm-hmm. The metal scene explodes. If you were to buy it in a store, I would probably, you know, local metal store, just go in there, and, and if they don't have them, tell them about it, because this is something that pe- when people actually see it on the shelf and maybe a store uh, clerk talk about it it that's what's really selling it it's, it's a lot of word of mouth which is great i mean we don't have the luxury of having a 
you know, a, a full blown press person doing press for us, and where it's sure. just really kind of homegrown. So, I would go that route. Find your local metal store; they probably have it too, and that's mm-hmm. just the best place to go. Um, yeah, the other streaming services, do we have it? Just Amazon Prime and iTunes. Uh, you can also go on Google Play, YouTube. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's there too as well. And they're broken down into four four parts. Right. Each episode is two, so uh, there's four parts, two episodes already, and the third one, we haven't decided if it's going to be one or two parts. Uh, that will be released sometime in 2017, so be on the lookout for that, because it's going to be its own little beast. <laughs> awesome. Carl, it has been a pleasure. I want to thank you uh, for taking the time on your Saturday morning to, to come on and talk to us, and I wish you guys all the best. Thank you, John, and you have a good day, and we appreciate talking to everybody and telling about Inside Metal, the L.A. metal scene explodes. Thank you to Carl Alvarez for coming on the show and uh, indulging my ignorant questions about how movies are made. Uh, certainly not my uh, forte. Uh, also, if you were interested in the conversation, um, if you go back to episode 250, which is available at ironcityrocks.com or on iTunes, uh, you can listen to the conversation we had with Bob Nalbandian, also about the uh, films. Uh, Bob, a longtime podcasting uh, brother of ours. So check that out as well. Uh, Metal Rock Films, to get all four of them. Again, I believe they're on Amazon streaming as well so you can check them out there get the dvds uh, you can head over to ironcityrocks.com we'll have a link for all of that also visit us at facebook twitter youtube and instagram are all forward slash iron city rocks you can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com where you can hit us up as a contact link on ironcityrocks.com we love to hear from you folks um Appreciate any suggestions for artists that uh, we maybe haven't had on the show yet or we haven't had in a long time uh, that you'd like to hear from. We got a great uh, email the other day about an artist we had on five or six years ago and, and honestly hadn't even thought about uh, having back on, so we've been in touch uh, with getting that artist back on the line. So want to hear what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. Let us know. And again, thank you for listening. Have a great day.